Welcome back to the podcast. This is Charlotte Craven, Technical Director here at Evans for Faith. And since it's Friday, we are back in our Keep the Fires Burning study. If you're new here, we alternate between two different series on Tuesdays and Fridays. And on Fridays, we do this minor character Bible study. So today's character actually does not have a name. He's only identified as the young armor bearer. So I'm going to let Michael jump into that in just a little bit here. I need to get my little ad in. Um, of some of the cool stuff we have going on here at Evidence for Faith. So in January of 2023, we will be heading out to Israel with a group of 30 plus people to go visit some archaeological sites, places, and cities of where biblical history happened. Um, not only will Michael Lane be teaching on this trip, but he will also be co-teaching with archaeologist Dr. Stephen Notley. So if you've had burning questions about the Bible, did it really happen? Who were these people? How did they live? Michael and uh, Dr. Stephen Notley are going to be two really good resources for you to ask and actually go down and just see it for yourself. So if you want to get more information on that, make sure to check out the links in the description. Or you can go to our website, evidenceforfaith.org slash 2023 Israel, or you can click on the events tab and see it there as well. So as always, this program is supported by listeners just like you. If you'd like to help support this program and keep it free, you can become a donor at evidenceforfaith.org slash give. That's evidence number four faith.org slash give. And with that, here is Michael and keep the fires burning. Meet the young armor bearer. Hello and welcome to Evidence for Faith. This is your host, Michael Lane, as we continue in our series of minor Bible characters, but major lessons they teach us. And today, oh, have we got an awesome story for you. One that you seldom ever hear about, uh, this character. Um, he's seldom ever talked about. Matter of fact, the Bible doesn't even give him a name. Uh, we aren't. We have no idea of his identity outside of he's just called the young armor bearer. And his story is recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 14. And um, this guy is an amazing person. So I hope you'll enjoy this as we sit back and we study this amazing character and what he can teach us people today, particularly us Christians. We can learn a lot from this young armor bearer. So join with me as we explore this character. I want to begin by telling you a story, a true story about a guy named Blondin. Blondin was a famous French aerialist, one of the finest tightrope walkers of all time. He is best known for being the man who walked a wire across Niagara Falls. On that famous crossing, there were crowds of people watching in breathless terror as Blondin maneuvered across the wire and back again. When he finally returned to the American side, he was met with throngs of praises and cheers saying, You are the greatest, Blunin! You can do anything! No one in the world is as great as you are! Oh, how they clapped and they cheered. And when the cheering subsided, Blondine he thanked the people, and then he offered them a challenge. He said, You say I am the greatest? Good! Then I should have no trouble getting someone to volunteer for my next act. He said, I need someone to ride atop my shoulders as I cross back over the falls one more time. 
The crowd went absolutely silent. Blondine says and shouted out, Just one person, please! After a very long pause, one lone man stepped forward and climbed upon Blondine's shoulders. Then he and that lone man crossed the falls. Forty-five minutes later, both returned to the American side, having written their names into history. A great talent was one, and the other was a great faith. Hmm. Well, let's get to our story, because we have a time in the period of the history of Israel here in 1 Samuel when Saul is the king. And Saul is still very early in his reign as the king of Israel when his son, Prince Jonathan, attacked the Philistine garrison at Geba. This meant war. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, we read that Saul had 3,000 troops at his side, but the Philistines responded. In 1 Samuel 13 verse 5, we read, And the Philistines mustered to fight with Israel 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and troops like the sand on the seashore in multitude. Now, (laughs) that's a pretty sizable army. And the Philistines were the advanced technological society of the day. They had mastered the art of iron weapons and had mobile weapons called chariots, like what would be today equivalent of a modern tank. Israel wouldn't have chariots until after the time of Solomon. On the other hand, Israel, you see, was an agricultural society, and it didn't even possess swords and spears. They had hunting instruments like slings, bows, and arrows. In fact, the Bible tells us that only two swords existed in the entire nation of Israel at that time. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 22, we read, On that same day of the battle, there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people with Saul and Jonathan. But Saul and Jonathan, his son, had them. This doesn't sound like a good way to try to win a battle. When the two sides lined up and the Israelites saw the vast army of and the weaponry of their adversaries, many fled and hid and, or, or even switched sides. Saul was soon left with only a small force. In 2 Samuel 13, verse 15, towards the end it we read, And Saul numbered the people who were present with him, about 600 men. That was it. He had, he had lost you know, over a couple of thousand men. Now, Looking at the battle, the odds don't look too good in favor of the Israelites from a human perspective. But you see, that's when God does his best. Have you ever noticed in your life, as I've noticed in mine, that God often seems to wait or to delay to intervene until the last moment? I've often said to people, God is very dramatic. He really is. He likes to make an entrance. I mean, think about it for a moment. Moses didn't cross the Red Sea until Pharaoh was upon him. Hezekiah didn't get the Lord's help against Sennacherib until 185,000 Assyrians surrounded him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not get delivered until they were put into the fiery furnace. Elijah didn't heal the widow's son until after the boy had died. Oh my gosh, we could go on and on and on with other examples. God is dramatic. 
and he likes to make an entrance. Well, King Saul did nothing now with only having 600 men. He just sat on the opposite side of the valley from the Philistines. And this stalemate went on for several days. Then the story continues. We go to 1 Samuel chapter 14, and we're going to look at the uh, verses 1 through 15. And it reads, One day Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he didn't tell his father. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Geba in the pomegranate cave at Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men. Skipping down a little bit, we read, And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Within the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on one side and a rocky crag on the other side. Skipping down to verse 6, we read, Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. Then Jonathan said, Behold, we'll cross over to the men, and we will show ourselves to them. If they say to us, wait until we come to you, then we will stand in our place and we will not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, then we'll go up. For the Lord has given given them into our hand and this shall be the sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, look, Hebrews are coming up out of the holes where they've hidden themselves. And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us. We'll show you a thing. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has given them into our hand of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet and his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer and killed them after him. And that first strike, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, killed about 20 men as if it were half a furrow's length of an acre of land. And there was a great panic in the camp, in the field, and among the people. The garrison and even the raiders trembled. The earth quaked, and it became a very great panic. Well, this is an amazing story, and it's an interesting story. We often focus on Jonathan. I've heard stories. I've heard this preached from the pulpit many times, talking about Jonathan and the courage and stuff that he has. But have you ever thought about the young lad who followed Jonathan into battle at these overwhelming odds? Oh, <laughs> to have a follower who would gladly follow even when the battle seems impossible. Oh boy, would I like to have people like that. Let's examine this young man, this nameless character, this minor person in the Bible, and see what we can learn from him and apply from his life into ours. First, what is an armor bearer? 
Well, it's a term to describe a personal servant who carried additional weapons for commanders or kings. Their primary duty was to follow along behind their master and slaughter the wounded that were still living after their master or their leader would, would strike them after the fighting. Usually the master would have a sword or a spear as some type of weapon, and the armor bearer often just had a club uh, to dispatch the wounded um, that were on the ground. It seems that not long after the time of King David, though, armor bearers sort of become obsolete in military history. The first thing that stands out about Jonathan's armor bearer is that he's, he's, it is said that he is young. Since he is, is nameless in history, and I hate keep calling him the armor bearer, I want to just give him a name. We're just going to give him a name so we can just refer to this character. Like I say, the Bible doesn't give us a name of him, and uh, historians have not given, us, uh, given his name to us. So we don't know who he is, so we're, I'm just going to call him Arnold. We'll just, we'll just use that one. Call him Arnold for identity purposes only. Um, Arnold doesn't seem to have years of experience in battle or military matters, and but he does have something. He has confidence in his leader, Prince Jonathan. Jonathan obviously has confidence also in Arnold, too. Arnold has probably signed on or has been chosen by Jonathan to be his armor bearer. But little did he ever realize, I'm sure, that his master would lead him into a fight where the odds were so stacked against them. Even so, Arnold follows Jonathan into this one-sided battle as brave as anyone at the Alamo. His commitment is unfailing. For instance, look at the comment he makes when asked by his master, Prince Jonathan, to go into this battle. 1 Samuel 14, verse 7 reads, And his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I'm with you, heart and soul. Wow. Arnold has made a commitment in his job to Jonathan. He will follow him in battle. But this seems to be more than he had ever signed up for. For two against hundreds doesn't seem quite fair. But Ar notice too what Arnold doesn't do. Arnold doesn't say to Jonathan, are you nuts? Look at all those men over there. They are smiling. They have real weapons, not like this tree branch I'm carrying. Nor does Arnold say, whoa, Jonathan, I didn't sign up for this. If you want to commit suicide, fine, but leave me out of it. Arnold didn't say to Jonathan, um, you go ahead, but I need to run over to Walmart and buy a gun first. Nor does Arnold say, I, I really don't feel like doing that today. I sort of have this, <coughs> this, this cough <coughs> and, and like a headache and, and everything. Might be coming down with something. You go ahead. I'm, I'm sure someone else will come up and, and help you. Arnold doesn't even say, uh, you go first, and I'll come along a little bit later after all this fighting is over when it's safe. No. What does Arnold say? I am with you, heart and soul. Hmm. Others had signed on to fight in this army, and they were either hiding, lazy, or they were traitors, but not our hero. Our hero goes into battle armed with nothing more probably than just a club just a tree branch. You know something else? He went on time, too. Yes, he went on time. He didn't hesitate about what his job was. This man, Arnold, was committed to his master. He's committed to his job, and he's committed to his God. 
The size of the opposition didn't matter to him. He was quite willing to use the resources he had in his hand, albeit probably just a club, a tree branch. But in short, what Arnold is saying is this to, to Jonathan, I'll follow you. I'll fulfill my obligation. I told you I would defend you, and I will go with you wherever and whenever you say. You see, when I examine this Arnold character, I notice some key characteristics that he possesses. First, he has vigilance. He's watchful. He's alert to the dangers facing him. But he has trust in Jonathan and trust in God that tells him no problem is too great. Wow, there's a lesson we can learn. Second, he has self-control. Facing a large enemy in combat is a terrifying thing. Though I have never had to do this, um, I have lived mostly in a time of peace or um, with never fought in battles. I recall my dad, who was a veteran of World War II, um, telling me a story about when in a battle he was in with his comrades when they were attacked one night by a Japanese he called a bonsai charge. My dad says they, they stormed our lines and just kept coming until they finally broke through and it became hand-to-hand combat. He went on to say that it got in this hand-to-hand combat, there was biting, spitting, punching, stabbing. Finally, the Japanese were all killed. He told me, too, that it was very hard to describe the feelings you get when you see scores of enemy soldiers charging you. I remember asking, you know, how do you handle that? And he said that it takes self-control and trust in your buddy to stay there and fight. Well, this is nothing new to Arnold. He knew what this was like. Third thing I noticed about Arnold. Arnold made himself do the hard thing. It would have been so easy to go and hide or be lazy like the rest of the army that was sitting around doing nothing. But he realized his commitment and made the decision to be there on time and do what he was supposed to do. Today, oh my gosh, we find too many people coming to work late, leaving early, taking long or extended breaks, or they're too concerned about their own comforts. This is really shameful when it's Christians doing this. Um, They don't think much of their commitment to their bosses and stuff or to the organization they belong to. This causes some people to think that Christians are a bunch of lazy people. But Christians should remember who they're actually working for. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, we read, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Do you know what that means? That means in whatever job you're at, you don't work for your boss. You don't work for a supervisor or a foreman or even the organization itself, you work for God. I wish more Christians would remember that. We should be the example, the standard by which all other employees are measured up to. We should be the people always at least on time, if not slightly early. We never leave early. We don't take extended breaks. We work during the day. We are examples to everybody else. Not because we're trying to impress our boss. No, because our true boss who we work for, according to Colossians 3.23 and verse 3.17, says the same thing. We're working for the Lord. 
I remember when I first came to uh, Christian camp in the Northwoods um, of Wisconsin, Fort Wilderness, the founder of the camp, Truman Robertson, on my first day, I was supposed to go clean a cabin. And Truman Robertson pulled me aside. He drove up in his little golf cart and called me over. And he says, what you doing, Michael? And I said, I'm getting ready to clean this cabin. I was told I'm supposed to clean this cabin. This is my first day at work. And uh, campers had just left. More campers are coming in. And he, uh, I said, I got to go in there and clean that. And he says, do you know how to clean a cabin? I said, oh, yeah, I know how to clean a cabin. I used to teach microbiology. When I'm done in there, you can do surgery. You know, I'm going to clean this thing. And that's how I always did. I, I clean cabins that literally thinking, well, you could do surgery in them. But um, as he, he says, okay, all right, but do you know how to clean a cabin? And I knew Truman, and I knew he was trying to say something this way. And I said, okay, what, what is it you're trying to say? He says, you clean that cabin, not for uh, Tom or Ron or anybody else, and not for me, and not for Fort. You clean that cabin for the Lord Jesus Christ, like he's going to be the person coming and staying in there. That's how you clean a cabin. Well, I got his meaning, because I understood. Colossians 3.23 and 3.17. Whatever we do, we work for the Lord. We do it for the Lord. So, yeah, when I cleaned the cabin, you could do surgery in there. Um, it was as clean, as septic, um, and as I could possibly make it in the time frame I was given. And I, I remember even every dime I would clean. I would clean even the woodworks. We had ceiling fans. I would clean off ceiling fans, the, the back of them, every week. And I'd go around even on the woodwork, on top of the doors. I would dust the top of the door with a sanitize, sanitizing solution. Not trying to impress anybody at camp. Not trying to impress my boss. I'm doing this because my Lord commands me to. All of us Christians should do such. Fourth thing I learned about Arnold. Arnold exchanges comfort, warmth, and safety for God's work. How many of us are willing to do that? You see, comfort, warmth, and, warmth and safety are human desires and sometimes are desires of the flesh that Jesus says we need to crucify on the cross for him. Because if we don't, these things, these items... Uh, these three items themselves, comfort, warmth, and safety, can become a crutch that hinders our walk and our duty to God. Yes, I'm impressed with this young Arnold character. If you compare him to the supposed real leader of Israel, King Saul, you're going to see some amazing differences. Let me just show you here, uh, making a comparison between King Saul and Arnold, Jonathan and Arnold combined. But look at this. King Saul sat around doing nothing. Jonathan and Arnold attacked an overwhelming force. King Saul trusted in his army alone. Jonathan and Arnold trusted in God alone. King Saul was a watcher who did nothing. Jonathan and Arnold, those guys are doers. King Saul impressed, was in, uh, in impressing people with talk and oaths. Jonathan and Arnold, it was their actions that impressed people. King Saul could be summarized by saying, all talk, no action. Jonathan and Arnold were big action, big victories. And finally, King Saul actually weakened his army. Jonathan and Arnold, they encouraged the army and had a great victory. So how do you compare with our hero, Arnold? Are you very vigilant in your duties? 
Are you self-controlled in your work ethic? Can you deny your human flesh and stay the course for God? Are you willing to exchange comforts of this life for service for God? Are you willing to use whatever God has given you at the time to work for his kingdom? Or are you someone that has accepted a challenge or a duty but fails to complete it or even to do it with all your heart? If so, what kind of witness are you of our Lord Jesus Christ? During July of 1863, General Robert E. Lee, fresh from his victories at Chancellorville, led the Confederacy into an invasion of the North in Pennsylvania. Now, in those days of warfare, the cavalry units were the eyes and the ears of the army. As General Lee was invading the North, he needed to know where the location and the strength of the Union and uh, Army was. He gave this job to a very young, flamboyant general named Jeb Stuart. As Lee proceeded northward, Stuart was supposed to supply him with intelligence on the enemy's movements, uh, position, and strength. But Lee heard nothing from Stuart. Weeks passed with no words whatsoever about the whereabouts of the Union Army. Suddenly, on July 3rd, Union General Buford had his cavalry unit and came face to face with a small part of Lee's army in a little city called Gettysburg. Lee's army could have easily been surrounded by the Union forces, but the resourceful Lee and General Longstreet routed the Union back and actually took the first day of the battle. Midway through this three-day battle, General Stewart came riding into Lee's headquarters. Lee delayed meeting with General Stewart until late in the evening. When at last Stewart was allowed to meet with Lee, Lee told him that many of the other officers felt like Stewart had let them down. He continued by saying that it was an act of God that the entire army was not destroyed because he had no idea where the Union strength was or its location. Jeb Stewart, after hearing all this, is said pulled out his sword and tried to hand it to Lee, saying that since he had lost uh, General Lee had lost faith in his ability to do his job. He was resigning. Lee yelled back that there was no time for this kind of behavior. Calming himself, Lee handed the sword back to Stuart, saying that he still believed that he was one of the finest cavalry officers in the army and that the South still needed him. He continued by softly telling Stuart that he had failed not only Lee, but the cause. And then he stated bluntly, this must never happen again. He repeated that to Stuart, that this must never happen again. Then he turned and said to him, let us speak no more on this matter, and dismissed him. It said the tears came to Jeb Stuart's eyes as he realized that he had let down not only his commander, his fellow officers, and had failed at his duty, but he also let down the man he admired the most. What can we learn from these examples and this young Arnold character? Lord, I thank you for people like this. 
in your word that you've given us these stories that we can learn from. And I ask that you help us to examine our lives, that we would be better servants, that everything that we do, we do for you. Let us help. Please help us to be more like this armor bearer who we called Arnold. Thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you enjoyed this lesson, and um, we have more coming, and I'm, I'm absolutely loving this series, and um, we're getting great comments, and uh, we love to hear from you. Feel free to contact us on Evidence for Faith, and if you feel um, that you would like to be a part of this ministry in prayer, on our prayer team, helping support us that way, or even financially. We have a lot of goals, um, and we, we still, and to keep our lessons and everything, our um, all of our material free. We are praying that God just supplies us and helps us. And if it's upon your heart, if he puts it upon your heart to help support us, we would really be happy um, for you to join our team in getting the word out. And as I've said many times before, I this ministry, we do not want to charge people to hear the word of God. I want it to be free because salvation is free. We want to make this free. We're depending upon God to r- raise up people to help us. And if you feel like that, you can one-time donation or you can join our team. We would be happy to do that. You can check that out on our website, evidenceforfaith.org. And until we meet again, take care and God bless. Thanks for tuning in, and thank you to our donors who make this program possible. Evidence for Faith is a 501c3 nonprofit ministry based in the USA. You can support this broadcast by donating online using the links in the description. And don't forget to leave us a comment, a review, likes, and shares to feed the algorithm and help others find this content. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode.